happened and then search began but Bavari didn't go and I was thinking about that today after the question and he didn't go because he was so very old and I thought maybe he feels how I feel you know what it's like when we can't go and hear the Buddha roaring like a lion in the jungle it's not that we're too old it isn't our time but like Bavari Pingia comes back and brings us this teaching so it has a kind of wistfulness in it for me I don't know if it has for you when I thought of him not being able to go I thought imagine what that would have felt like you're just too old. Encouragement to practice now. Really, isn't it? And so, thinking of this, what was happening, and what the Buddha says, that he only teaches one thing. Suffering and the end of suffering. And he teaches for just one reason. Out of compassion. And we hear this repeated throughout, you know, where the various Brahmin students implore him out of compassion to teach. So as, you know, like myself, if I, I'm here, there's only one thing I'm ever saying, isn't there? It's the same, you know, we're saying the same thing about the Four Noble Truths. And ideally, the only reason we're sitting here is out of compassion. And as practitioners, it's the same thing. There is only one thing we are doing, isn't there? We're waking up to the Four Noble Truths. And there's only one reason for doing it. It's out of compassion. And it's really important if we go deeper into this sutta, which has some really challenging aspects, that we're hearing it from the right place. We're hearing it, that it was offered out of compassion. It's medicine. And as I was considering that this, this afternoon, I suddenly remembered what Pingi says 
when he comes back with this praise to the way beyond, right at the end. You may know all the reading, you may have missed it the other night, and I'll just find it. He talks about the quality of the Buddha's voice. So let me just find it, or one of you might find it quicker and be able to point it out. But that there's no harshness in his voice. Maybe that's enough. No, we we know there is no harshness in this. And so if we hear ourselves picking it up with any kind of harshness. Page one thirty one, section nine. Thank you. Would you like to read it? When a voice has none of the glibness of pride and none of the ingrained strains, uh, stains of ignorance, then its words are full of sweetness and beauty. Is that the passage you're thinking of? Okay. It is such words that I praise now. Yes. And it's, there'll be a piece on the other side about the... the yeah. No inner poison drives. Yes. Yes, so you get, a, you get a... If we read that description of the Buddha... You get the quality out of which this is coming. So tonight I thought, in my kind of rough map of where this might go, that tonight we might look at craving. We did, in a sense, last night, because we were talking about what it's like, kind of day two on a retreat that gets going. Yeah. The hunger for the foods. And this actually fits with this surprisingly. So what I thought to do was read through Ajita's question for those who haven't got the text and Tissimetia's question. Now it would be lovely to be able to really look at Tissimetia's but maybe it's something to look at for yourselves because his question's really about, is it possible to be happy? Is it possible to be free? What it's like to be a person here? So later, have a, hold these questions. Just see what sense you make of them. What is this possibility the Buddha is pointing to? What does it mean? What happens if I so profoundly let go there are no edges? Is happiness possible? So, let us go to the Jitta's question. What is it, Siddhajitta, that smothers the world? What makes the world so hard to see? What would you say pollutes the world? And what threatens it most? It is ignorance which smothers, said the Master, and it is carelessness and greed which make the world invisible. The hunger of desire pollutes the world, and the great source of fear is the pain of suffering. In every direction, said Ajita, the rivers of desire are running. How can we dam them? And what will hold them back? What can we use to close the floodgates? 
Any river can be stopped with a dam of mindfulness, said the Buddha. I call it the flood stopper. And with wisdom, you can close the floodgates. Sir, said Aditya, where there is wisdom and mindfulness, there is also the hybrid of mind and matter, the generation of individuality. What brings it all to a halt? This is the answer to your question, Aditya, said the Master. Individuality can be brought to a total end by the cessation of consciousness. Sir, said Aditya, there are people here who have mastered all the teachings, and there are students and apprentices and ordinary people too. Tell me how these people should live and work. Let them be like a wanderer, said the Buddha, mindful and skillful in every way. They should free themselves from pleasure hunger and make their minds calm and undisturbed. Yeah, so that's a There are certain bits of this that really strike me when I read it always. This, the great source of fear is the pain of suffering. Yeah, we really know this, don't we? How frightened we are. And that's, as I was saying last night, why the teaching is so radical in rather than running we come into the presence of dukkha because that's our greatest fear and that's why it is so liberating yeah. so the other bit that often comes to my mind is in every direction, the rivers of desire are running. It can feel like that, can't it? Either here or as we're out in the world. If you stop at all the airports along the way, I went chum, 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 chum to get here. And it just felt rivers of people. And then all the sensory impact going on. And you just think, poor. Where is the end to all of this? And the Buddha tells us mindfulness. And this is not mindfulness without certain qualities. In the text, it's got sati sampajanya, mindfulness and clear comprehension. And we know it's predicated on dana, sila, renunciation. These are all the things that have been ripened and are laid out in the prologue. Yeah? So it's ethical. It's sensitive. It's the ability to be present. So the dam of mindfulness. But the really beautiful thing is the flood stopper. <laughs> Wisdom closes the floodgates. So as we're practicing, you know, and 
I know for some of you, yesterday was the perfect storm, as it generally is at that point in a retreat. It's wisdom that is the medicine. And what is the wisdom of the Buddha? The Four Noble Truths. Yes. So I said to you last night that there's this whole book of commentary on this little, well not little, on this text, with Sariputta laying out in detail what the text means. And we're going to have to implore one of our Pali scholars to translate it. But we have one translation of a commentary on a little bit of this that I thought I might read to you. Because it starts to all fit together. This whole, the whole, you know, discussion we were having last night about the kinds of food, material food, contact, volition, consciousness. So, bear with me. I, I had all kinds of texts start coming to my mind and I thought, slow down, Tony. <laughs> so, if it gets a bit too much, you know how to tune me out. and just take what you need. So in the Sutta Nipata, there's this text, and I'm using Venerable Tanisaro's translation. Oh, Sangyuta, I should say. So there's all kinds of things hidden away in that book, which I know some of you have. So... On one occasion, the Blessed One was staying near Sawati in Jetta's Grove and Pindaka's monastery. So we know all about that, don't we? Yeah. There he addressed Venerable Sariputta. Sariputta, it is said, in a ditter's question in the way to the further shore. There are those who have fathomed the Dharma. So we're getting a slightly different translation here. Those who are learners, those who are run-of-the-mill, when you, dear sir, astute, are asked us, tell me their manner of life. How is the detailed meaning of the brief statement to be understood? So we've just got this little, what seems like insignificant bit. No? There are people who have mastered the teachings. And when he was asked, Venerable Sariputta remained silent. And he remained silent three times when the Buddha asked him to explain it. And then he said, One sees with right discernment, Lord, that this has come into being. Seeing with right discernment that this has come into being, one practice for detachment with it, for dispassion towards it, for the cessation of what has come into being. One sees with right discernment that it has come into being from this nutriment, from this food. So the once again the foods are material food, contact, intention and consciousness. 
One practices for detachment with it, for dispassion towards it, for the cessation of the nutriment by which it has come into being. One sees with right discernment that, from the cessation of this nutriment, what has come into being is subject to cessation. Seeing with right discernment that, from the cessation of this nutriment, what has come into being is subject to cessation, one practices for detachment with, for dispassion towards, for the cessation of what is subject to cessation. This is how one is a learner. Yeah. So this sounds cryptic, I'm sure, if you're not you haven't come across it a lot. It's a way of formulating conditionality. It's actually when Sariputta had his stream entry experience, that's how it arose for him. He saw that with the arising of this, that is born. When that ceases, this other ceases. So what does that mean for us? That if we take food as contact, one of the foods, when our mind comes into contact with something pleasant, pleasant feeling arises. And you can get the whole, from feeling you get craving or whatever depending on how skillful you are. So with contact you get feeling. You go into eat tonight and you like the colour of the food and the whole thing comes into being. Now it's arising through the door of the eyes. You could simply close them and the experience would be different. That, that ground on which that feeling has arisen ceases in a very simple explanation. So the, it's, a, it's a sense that things don't arise from nowhere. They, they, they're conditioned. They're interrelated. Yes. So what Sariputta is suggesting is we're really practicing to see the conditionality of our experience. We were talking about what it's like on a, you know, about two, three days in, and you're used to a tremendous amount of impact in, in your usual lives. You know, listening to this, looking at that, computers, the whole snake's nest, really, in a way. You know, a whole a tremendous impact of contact. And it's that contact is a food for the mind. And we can cling on to it. And you see what happens when you take that food away. Today many of you experienced it, the actual settling of the mind. It's no longer being churned up by feeding on contact in the same way. 
Get what I'm meaning? Yeah. So it's helpful to see it and helpful for that Sariputta to, in a sense, draw it out a bit because it encourages us as a sutta progresses to be really careful about what our mind is in contact with. It has a consequence. And that doesn't mean we're not living our lives, but we're not heedless in it either. You are all, we are all sitting with results of what we've been up to. Yeah. And you really see it on retreat. I remember being on probably about the last time I was here. I think 2008, 2007, we can't remember. But, but I'd, around that time I went on a long retreat in my home country where I hadn't been for a long time. And I was up in a kuti, a hut, way up. And below, all down, was the whole valley. And you know, the, the huts are in the forest. The New Zealand monastery, Bodhinyanarama, is incredibly beautiful. If any of you have been there, it's quite empty. And I was up in a hut. And coming in out of the kind of fullness of anyone who knows what life at Chittas was like, the kind of intensity of it. And, and sitting up there, looking down, and hearing the sounds of people's life coming up the valley. And it was such a strong feeling for me sitting there that if one from this great height could bestow one thing, it would be to bestow an understanding of sila. What it's like to sit in retreat when you've been keeping ethical conduct. What it's like if you haven't. And it's not, this is not judging, this is just simply seeing with this, that comes into being. The conditionality of our experience. So, we might leave that there because I don't want to talk for too long but many of you have come to me asking about another piece of this, this little question and answer. Sir, said Ajitta, where there is wisdom and mindfulness, there is also the hybrid of mind and matter and the generation of individuality. What brings it all to a halt? This is the answer to your question, Ajitta, said the Master. Individuality can be brought to a total end by the cessation of consciousness. What do you make of that? You've experienced it. In moments. 
maybe longer times. When we come out of the... You'll experience it cultivating the Brahma Vihara. When the mind is edgeless, boundless. When we come out of the edginess of the mind. We come out of constructing subject-object. These things that arise on consciousness. The sense of me here, you there. And it's a delusion. It's a, it's a result of how consciousness works. It's a presumption. It works because that's what consciousness does. It says if I'm seeing something there, there must be someone here looking. It's a presumption. Investigate it. So, to bring in a text that might help. Don't worry if you don't get this. Really, there's... Let it just work inside as a question. Mm. We're, we're really looking at the most profound aspects of the teaching, a very detailed explanation that people ponder on for a very long time. So my intention, you know, it's here in the text, so let us deal with it, but also just so it starts pointing you in an inquiry. And we, as I've been saying all along, this inquiry is from a very grounded, embodied place because it doesn't work here. That's why the Brahmins have showed up. They are versed in the three Vedas. They have whole systems of knowledge and understanding and it hasn't helped. What they've come the Buddha for is practical, Gnostic understanding. So it's embodied. It's not an idea. So it's something we explore and let start to inform us. So we come like the Brahmins, thinking we can conceptually grasp something. And the Buddha starts playing tricks with us. As you see further along, turning our notions on their heads. I mean, the cessation of consciousness sounds, I don't know what it sounds like to you, but it's a complete bafflement on one level, isn't it? But he's pointing to something. So, I'll read this because it's hard on the spot to translate it into more modern language. I'll read it in the way it's been translated. So this is an old translation, not Bhikkhu Bodhi's more recent one. 
So it's from the kindred sayings on calls. So we're talking about the kinds of foods again. Solid food. Coarse or fine. And then the second food is contact. Willing of mind, the third. Consciousness, the fourth. These are the four sustenances. If there be passion, brethren, if there be delight, if there be craving as to solid food, it is there that consciousness is firmly placed and becomes fruitful. Where consciousness, vijnana, is firmly placed and fruitful, there is descent of name and shape, as the Buddha is saying. Where there is descent of name and shame, there is growth of activity, sankhara. Where there is growth of sankhara activities, there in the future is renewed becoming and birth. Where in the future is renewed becoming and rebirth, there in the future is decay and death. <coughs> Where there is in the future decay and death, I declare, brethren, that this is grief, affliction and despair. <coughs> yeah. You'll have heard this before in terms of teachings on conditionality. Yeah. But we're doing it in terms of the foods. And I declare all of this is true if there is passion, if there is delight, if there be craving as to the other three foods, contact, pasam. Willing of mind, chetana, consciousness, vijnana. Just as if a dyer or a painter, if there be dye or lac or turmeric or indigo or madia, or a well-polished panel or wall or strip of cloth, can fashion a woman's shape or a man's shape, complete in all its parts, even so, if there be passion, delight, craving as to any of these four foods, then consciousness, being firmly placed and fruitful, name and shape descends. So this whole me experience. Activities grow, and the future is renewed, becoming and rebirth, death and decay, grief, affliction and despair. Oh. But, if there not be passion, not delight, not craving, as to any of these four foods, their consciousness is not firmly placed, not fruitful. Their in consequence, name and shape does not descend. Their activities do not grow. There in the future is no renewed becoming and rebirth, nor yet decay and death and grief, affliction and despair. Astounding. Just as if brethren, there were a roofed house or a hall having windows in the north or the south or the east, when at sunrise a sunbeam enters by the window, where does it delight? Where does it alight? Sorry. On the westward, Lord. If there be no west wall, where does it alight? On the ground, Lord. If there be no ground, where does it alight? On water, Lord. If there be no water, 
Where does it alight? It alights nowhere. Even so, if there be no passion, nor delight, nor craving as to any of these four foods, their consciousness is not stationed nor fruitful. There, in consequence, name and shape does not descend. Their activities do not grow. There, in the future, is no renewed becoming and rebirth, nor yet decay and death with grief, affliction and despair. Yeah. So, what does this mean for us? It's pointing to a possibility that in moments we soften into. We have been sitting in meditation, softening, gentling, ripening the heart. I can feel it when I was sitting there earlier, a kind of settledness. So we're grounded and we start making the inquiry. We're starting to notice how the feeding of the mind brings us into birth. And this very process of noticing starts to free it up. You see the grasping of the mind, this cause of suffering. It's, it's, to me it's really fascinating because just to see how we take experience, create somebody who's having it and what happens with it. I, I used to work with worry a lot. Each of us has our edges. So kind of worry. And I'd spend, people would ask me, what are you doing? And I'd say, I'm feeling worry. I'm just all the time just really conscious of what this, this is. Whenever it's even slightly present, what is happening. So a really sustained inquiry. I want to know about it. And when we really start to look, one day, there I was, I can remember I was walking back from the teddy going somewhere and feeling this energy and inquiring. You know, there's kind of questions that start to investigate what is this experience. And what I noticed was, and what is worth checking out for yourselves, worry happened and then the person worrying arose. Find out which order it happens in. Yeah? The sadness, the frustration, what order is it happening in? Is it a presumption because there's worry, there must be somebody here worrying? Because when you see this process, what you realise is it's terrible. Mm. 
because you're taking birth on defilement, on hindrances. I have no option if I take birth, I'm worried, I'm worried but to be a worried person. Yeah. And then we take that experience of a moment, so we're taking birth, and we're worried, and rather than seeing it for what it is, a momentary arising from cause, we grasp it even harder and paint it forward into the future and we paint it back. We make it even more solid, so we're trapped in it. So check it out in terms of time when these things happen to you. They're handy. It's very hard to investigate the grasping of the mind from a really boundless, effulgent place because it Pleasant feeling doesn't give the same construction and the same experience of edginess and trappedness and dukkha. It's not that it's not still dukkha, but it's harder to investigate it. You know, it's a tricky thing because you need enough stability to be able to see and you need to be with enough that is prompting you to inquire. So that thought that you don't want to have is your waking up place. That feeling you don't want. Yeah? You get my drift, don't you? I think so. (laughs) Good. So we'll leave it there and we can maybe talk a bit more about all this tomorrow. So, tomorrow in the evening we'll look at the next two um, questions or next two Brahmins, students' questions. There also we'll look in terms of craving, but from a different place. The kind of experience in the heart of this. So, I know this was in a way a bit more heady but partly in response to the questions that came today. So, if it's confusing, forget about it. Yeah? Pick it up at some other time. Okay? Thank you.